Chapter 4 of The Dust Flower by Basil King. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter 4 Now! The strong cockney negative was also an exclamation. It came from Mrs. Courage, the cook-housekeeper, who stood near the kitchen range making the coffee for breakfast. She was a woman who looked her name, born not merely to do battle, but to enjoy being in the midst of it. Jane, the waitress, was the next to speak. Natty Duckett, you ought to be ashamed to say them words, you that's been taught to hope the best of every one. Jane had fluttered in from the pantry with the covered dish for the toast. Jane still fluttered at her work, as she had done for the past thirty years. The late Mrs. Allerton had liked her about the table, because she was swift, deft, and moved lightly. A thin little woman, with a profile resembling that of Punch's Judy, and a smile of cheerful piety, she yielded to time only by a process of drying up. Nettie Duckett was quick in her own defence, but breathless too from girlish laughter. "'I can't help saying what I see, now can I? There she was, half-dressed in the little back spare room. Oh, the commonest thing! You wouldn't want it to sweep her out with a broom!' "'Pretty goings on, I must say,' Jane commented. "'Hope the best of everyone, I will, but when you think that we was all on the top floor—' "'Put your goings off, they'll be, I can tell you that,' Mrs. Courage declared in her rich, decided bass. "'Just let me have a word with Master Rashley. I'll tell him what his ma would have said. She left him to me, she did. Courage, she's told me many a time. That'll boy be your boy after I'm gone. As good as Mike in a will, I call it. And now to think with us right here in the house. Where's Steptoe? Do you know anything about it?' "'Do you know anything about what?' question came from Step to himself, who appeared on the threshold. The three women maintained a dramatic silence, while the old butler valet looked from one to another. "'Seems as if there was news,' he observed dryly. "'Tell him, Nettie,' Mrs. Courage commanded. Nettie was the young thing of the establishment, Mrs. Courage's own niece, brought from England when the housemaid's place fell vacant on Bessie's unexpected marriage to Walter Wildgoose, Miss Walbrook's indoor man. Indeed, she had been brought from England before Bessie's marriage, of which Mrs. Courage had had advance information, so that as soon as Bessie left, Nettie was on the spot to be smuggled into the Allerton household. Steptoe had not forgiven this underhand movement on Mrs. Courage's part, seeing that the long ago both she and Jane had been his own nominees, and that he considered the household posts as gifts at his disposal. "'I'll have to make a clean sweep of the lot of them,' he had more than once declared at those gatherings at which the English butlers and valets of Upper Fifth Avenue discussed their complex of interests. Forty years in the Allerton family had made him not merely its major-domo, but in certain respects its head. His tone towards Nettie was that of authority, with a note of disapprobation. "'Speak, girl, and do it without giggling. What have you to tell?' Though she couldn't do it without giggling, Nettie repeated the story she had given to her aunt and Jane. She had gone into the small single back bedroom on the floor below Mr. Allerton's, and there was a half-dressed girl putting up of her hair. According to her own statement, Nettie had passed away on the spot, being able, however, to articulate the question, "'What are you a-doing of here?' To this the young woman had replied that Mr. Allerton had brought her in on the previous evening, telling her to sleep there, and there she had slept. Nettie's information could go no further, but it was considered to go far enough. "'So what do you say to that?' Mrs. Courage demanded of Steptoe. "'You that's always so ready to defend my young lord.' Steptoe was prepared to stand back to back with his employer. 
I don't defend him. I'm not called on to defend him. It's Mr. Wash's house. Any guest of his must be your guest and mine. And what about Miss Walbrook, uh, that's to be Mrs. Year in the course of a few weeks? Stepto coloured frostily. She's not Mrs. Year yet, and if she ever comes, there'll be stormy weather for all of us. New Mrs.'s don't generally get on with old servants like us, that's been in the family for so many years, and when they don't, it ain't them as gets notice. A bell rang sharply. Stepto sprang to attention. There's Mr. Rashley now. Don't you mean go to Mike and do? There's lots of troubles that'd never have happened if women had been able to hold their tongues. But I suppose, Stepto, you don't deny that there's such a thing as right. I don't deny that there's such a thing as right, Mrs. Courage. But I only wonder if you knows more about it than the rest of us. In Allerton's room, Stepto found the young master of the house half-dressed. Standing before a mirror, he was brushing his hair. His face and eyes, the reflection of which Stepto caught in the glass, were like those of a man on the edge of going insane. The old valet entered according to his daily habit, and without betraying the knowledge of anything unusual. All the same, his heart was sinking, as old hearts sink when beloved young ones are in trouble. The boy was his darling. He had been with his father for ten years before the lad was born, and had watched his growth with a more than paternal devotion. "'He's all I have,' he often said to himself, and have been known to let out the fact in the aforementioned group of English upper servants, a small but exclusive circle in the multiplex life of New York. In Steptoe's opinion, Master Rash had never had a chance. Born many years after his parents had lived together childlessly, he had come into the world constitutionally neurasthenic. Steptoe had never known a boy who needed more to be nursed along and coaxed along by affection, and now and then by indulgence. Instead, the system of severity had been applied, with the results little short of calamitous. He had been sent to schools famous for religion and discipline, from which he reacted in the first weeks of freedom in college, getting into dire academic scrapes. Further severity had led to further scrapes, and further scrapes to something like disgrace, when the war broke out and a Red Cross job had kept him from going to the bad. The mother had been a self-willed and selfish woman, claiming more from her son than she ever gave him, and never perceiving that his was a nature requiring a peculiar kind of care. After her death, Stepto had prayed for a kind, sweet wife to come to the boy's rescue, and the answer had been Miss Barbara Walbrook. When the engagement was announced, Stepto had given up hope. Of Miss Walbrook as a woman, he had nothing to complain. Walter Wildgoose reported her a noble creature, splendid, generous, magnificent, only needing a strong hand. She was of the type not to be served, but to be mastered. Rashley Allerton would goad her to frenzy, and she would do the same by him. She was already doing it. For weeks past, Stepco could see it plainly enough, and what would happen after they were married, God alone knew. For himself, he saw no future but to hang on after the wedding as long as the new mistress of the house would allow him, take his dismissal as an inevitable thing, and sneak away and die. It was part of Steptoe's training not to notice anything till his attention was called to it. So having said his, "'Good morning, sir,' he went to the closet, took down the hanger with the coat and waistcoat belonging to the suit of which he saw that Allerton had put on the trousers, and waited till the young man was ready for his ministrations. Allerton was still brushing his hair, as he said over his shoulder, "'There's a young woman in the house, Steptoe. Been here all night.' 
Yes, sir, I know. In the little back spare room. Who told you? Uh, Nettle went in for a pincushion, Mr. Rash, and the young woman was a-doing of her air. What did Nettie say? It ain't what Nettie says, sir, if I might make so bold. It's what Mrs. Courage and Jane says. Tell Mrs. Courage and Jane they needn't be alarmed. The young woman is— Stepto caught the spasm which contracted the boy's face. The young woman is my wife. Quite so, sir. If Adderton went no further, Stepto could go no further. But inwardly he was like a man reprieved at the last minute, and against all hope, from sentence of death. Then it won't be her, was all he could say to himself, her being Barbara Walbrook. Whatever calamity had happened, that calamity at least would be escaped, which was so much to the good. His arms trembled so that he could hardly hold up the waistcoat for Allerton to slip it on. But he didn't slip it on. Instead, he wheeled round from the mirror, threw the brushes with a crash to the toilet table, and cried with a rage all the more raging for being impotent. Stepto, I've been every kind of fool. Yes, sir, I expect so. You've got to get me out of it, Stepto. You must find a way to save me. I'll do my best, sir. The joy of cooperation with the lad almost made up for the anguish at his anguish. Uh, what did it be? You must excuse me, Mr. Rash, but what did it be that you'd like me to save you from? Atherton threw out his arms. From this crazy marriage, this frightful mix-up. I went right off the handle yesterday. I was an infernal idiot. And now I'm in for it. Something's got to be done, Steptoe, and I can't think of anyone but you to do it. Quite so, sir. Will you have your waistcoat on now, sir? You're ready for it, I see. I'll think it over, Mr. Rash, and let you know. While first the waistcoat and then the coat were extended and slipped over the shoulders, Adderton did his best to put Steptoe in possession of the mad facts of the previous day. Though the account he gave was incoherent, the old man understood enough. "'It wasn't her fault, you must understand,' Atherton explained further, as Steptoe brushed his hat. "'She didn't want to. I persuaded her. I wanted to do something that would wring Miss Walbrook's heart. And I've done it. Run my own, too. What's to become of me, Sir Steptoe? It's the best thing I can do is to shoot myself.' Think it over. I'm ready to. I'm not sure that it wouldn't be a relief to get out of this rotten life. I'm all on edge. I could jump out of that window as easily as not. But it wasn't the girl's fault. She's a poor little waif of a thing. You must look after her and keep me from seeing her again, but she's not bad, only... Oh, my God, my God! He covered his face with his hands and rocked himself about, so that Steptoe was obliged to go on brushing till his master calmed himself. "'Do you think, sir,' he said then, "'that this is the act to go with this here suit? "'I think as the brown one would be a lot chicker, "'tone him with the sort of fawn stripe in the blue like, "'and catch us the note in your tie,' he added, "'while diving into the closet in search of the brown hat and bringing it out. "'There's one thing I could say right now, Mr. Resch, "'and I think it might help.' "'What is it?' "'Do you remember the time when you hurt your leg hunting down in Long Island?' "'Yes, what about it?' He was all for not paying it no attention and for hopping about as if you hadn't hurt it at all. A terrible fuss you made when the doctor said as you was to keep still. Anybody'd have thought he'd bought it a amputation. Yet he was keeping still what got you out of the trouble now, wasn't it? Well? Well, now you're in a worse trouble still. It might do the same again. I'm a great believer in keeping still, I am. 
Allerton was off again. How in thunder am I to keep still when— I'll tell you one why, sir. Don't talk. Don't do nothing. Don't beat your head against the wall. Be quiet. Take it natural. You've done this thing. Well, you haven't committed a murder. You haven't even done a wrong to the young lady in whom you was engaged. But what I understand, she jilted you, and you was free to marry anyone you took a mind to. Nominally, perhaps, but— "'If you're nominally free, sir, you're free, by what I can understand. "'And if you've gone and done a foolish thing, it ain't no one's business but your own.' "'Yes, but I can't stand it.' "'Of course you can't stand it, sir, but it's because you can't stand it "'that I'm asking of you to keep just as quiet as you can. "'Mistakes in our life is often like the twists we'll give to our bodies. "'They ain't most awful, but let night her alone and she'll take care of them. "'It's just so with our mistakes. "'Let life alone, and she'll put em straight for us, nine times out of ten. "'Better than we can do by working up into a wax.' "'Calmed to some extent, Allerton went off to the club for breakfast, "'being unable to face this meal at home. "'Steptoe tidied up the room. "'He was troubled, and yet relieved. "'It was a desperate case, "'but he had always found that in desperate cases "'desperate remedies were close at hand.' End of chapter 4